0: morning. Good morning. Welcome to Country Christian Center this morning. Come on in. Have a seat. house of the Lord today. Nice summer day and nice and cool in here. Let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing as we start. Thank you Lord that we do get to uh, gather in your house, gather in your name, worship you and hear from your word to lift our service up and just pray your blessing on it. In Jesus name. Amen. Well I was going to do a little bit of show-and-tell this morning. I don't know any of you remember that from grade school, our school had a show-and-tell. It would maybe normally be someone that would say, well, my cat had kittens. I had a, I had a yellow stripe, then a gray stripe, and a calico." That would be a, maybe a typical show-and-tell. But I got a little background to this. Let's see. I was, uh, I grew up in Burbank area, Burbank Heights, just a little upriver. Up from uh, Hood Park, and just across the street or road there from the river, so we had a lot of a lot of fun growing up in that vicinity. A lot of things we would do. Sometimes when I was maybe over 14, 16, along there, we would spot a car down at Sacagawea Park, and uh, come home through a raft and pretend we're a Huckleberry Finn going down the river. And we'd stop at the bridge and climb up the piers or whatever, jump off and once in a while somebody would tie a rope to the bridge that would be really fun until the DOT found it but you would swing out and drop and they had uh, just a, a lot of fun growing up there. Um, let's see, Sacagawea Park was uh, maybe two miles from where we grew up and, and I'd hike there often and one, one day I decided to take a hike to Sacaga Park and back. It was probably about 1965, so a while back. I was, I'm guessing about 14 years old. And so I had to go through the park and you cross the bridge, one bridge at that time, not two, down to the side and go to the park and do what you're gonna do and come back. Well, I, I was on my way back and I got just north of the park and I was just walking along the—I still remember—I was walking along the right where the water met the rock. So it was kind of a rocky area, and I uh, came upon this object laying in the rocks. I think you can see it better from. do. Anyway, that is a the remains of a meat clearer. and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. You know, it's the least worth taking home, so I picked it up, took it home, and we had a little, still down there, a little shop sort of building, a little small building, wasn't big enough to drive anything in, but my dad had his tools there. We had a farm there at the time, and uh, so I just kind of threw it there, didn't think a whole lot of it, you know, it doesn't look like much, and I'd see it once in a while, but six, eight years later, I got off in the world to make my, my way, and and just kind of forgot about it. Um, My daughter, son-in-law and grandkids live in that house that I grew up in, in that uh, spot the farm has been sold long ago. But uh, anyway, didn't think too much of it until about 10 years ago. I was reading a, a book, and something I read in the book caused me to desperately want to try to find this meat cleaver again. (laughs) Um, So I was kind of like that gal in Matthew or Luke, got it written here somewhere, who lost the coin. She had 10 coins and lost one. Tore her house upside down looking for that coin. Well, I ran to Burbank and looked and looked and looked for it, couldn't find it. Uh, told my grandkids you know what it was, keep an eye out for it. Every time I go down there, I, you know, peruse a little bit around. But my dad had cleaned up over there, this decades ago. He had cleaned up and thrown stuff away, and stuff away that I wish I had now, like a Honda 50 motorcycle. I could have restored, that would have been nice. <clears throat> um, let's see, I think next in the story, about a year ago, maybe slightly more than a year ago, there was a, a birthday party at the Nakamura's, I believe it was for Shamgar, it wasn't for me. And then I was sitting in a chair and the Becks came up with this box, this, this uh, gift box, gave it to me. I'm thinking, what's this all about? It's not my birthday. And I opened it up and there it was. They, uh, Brandon had asked Landon to, to dig a little trench around the corner of this building. I think they're going to put in a wire for a, a hot wire fence or something. And he said he was about six inches down, clunk, clunk, clunk. He couldn't go any farther. And dug up this now. Um, why was this thing also, oh, it's so special all of a sudden? What I read, I can't find it again. That was 10 years, I can't find the book that I read it out of, but it's. Everybody know where the core discovery was? Uh, Lewis and Clark. I said on their, on their way back, they jettisoned, I still remember the word jettisoned, some cooking equipment near the old town site of Ainsford. That's exactly where I found this. Now I can't prove it's Lewis and Clark's, but I think it is, so it's Lewis and Clark's <laughs> mate. Because uh, they were there. It said they just sent some equipment, and uh, here it is. I guess the point I wanted to make, this doesn't have much value, except if Lewis and Clark owned it. It's got a lot of value. I did read that there's very few relics that survived. They just didn't think to save it any much, threw it away. So, if indeed this is Lewis and Clark's great value, and I just want to transition to us. You know, in ourselves, maybe we don't have a whole lot of value. But as children of the king, we've a lot. You now, earlier this year, Jason was going through uh, a genesis. And a point he made more than once was made in the image of God. So... Value because it's Lewis and Clark's, or was, and great value because you're the Lord's. And, you know, um, life here isn't just, just great every day. Everybody goes through things, some more, some less, you know, health, relationship, financial, something. Um, there's challenges. And it's kind of like this old meat-clearer, Maybe, I don't know if you can tell, but it's all beat up on top, someone's been pounding on it to get, the, there's some meat, and the handle's broken off. You know, it's rusted and pitted. And that just kind of, it's kind of like the difficulties sometimes we have. And it's funny how they're uneven. Some people have more, some people have, anybody want to, anybody want to take Scotty Smiley's journey? Not me. Um. See, we better have, a, better have a verse in here. How about, how about Psalm 3, a few things? 3, 1, through 3. Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. You know, I've been reading Job lately. And... Uh, What a run of bad luck he had. I know it's not bad luck. The Lord allowed it. Consider my servant Job. But he, he loses his children. He loses his wealth. His friends are judgmental. His wife is no encouragement. And he finally loses his health. It just scratching away. But um, about halfway through the book, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. So, I guess just to leave you with you know, this doesn't have much value except for who made it. And that's where our value is. And in the end, we can all say, I know my Redeemer lives. So, uh, worship team, will you come, let's stand. Lord, we look forward to the rest of our service. Just pray for this worship time, and sharing time, and the message. And uh, just. Just uh, pray we'd all be encouraged and blessed today. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: We both to yourself. everybody here today. I know that that is my prayer. I just want to always be singing your praise. I pray that you would be with the rest of the service today and help it to touch at least one person here today. And all God's people said, amen.
2: Good morning. My voice is coming, but it's not quite all the way back yet, so we'll see how, how it lasts today. Uh, Just before we get going, uh, next Sunday we're going to have a baptism right after church. And uh, if anybody else is interested in getting baptized and have not, come and talk to me. But we will be doing that next Sunday right after the service over at our pond on the farm. So next to the gazebo. So that's what's going on. So this morning um, we are going into Acts chapter 5. And we're going into the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And so it's always an interesting story, but we're going to go through this and see what we can find in it this morning. So Acts chapter 5, you want to, if you want to stand while we read, uh, you don't have to, but if you would stand while we read this, <clears throat> Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, it says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from their surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. Father, thank you again for your word. I pray that you would guide us as we... Look into it and just give give us your wisdom this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Ananias and Sapphira, we've all heard this story before. And sometimes we wonder what happened to the grace and mercy. To the God of grace and mercy that we serve, what happened to that part? Because here is Ananias and Sapphira that both end up dead. Now that doesn't sound like a very gracious and merciful God to me. So what happened? What's going on here that they both end up dead? We serve a God of grace and mercy. We do. But sometimes we forget that he is also a just and a holy God as well. And I think this is where we are running into a problem here with Ananias and Sapphira. If you go back to the last Uh, verse in chapter 4 it says and Joseph who was also named Barnabas by the apostles which is translated son of encouragement a Levite of the country of Cyprus having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet. So this is what we're coming off of a very positive note where somebody did sell their land and they brought all of the proceeds well I'm assuming it was but to the disciples feet and was given it giving it to, for the church to be able to use. So Ananias and Sapphira, probably along with a lot of other people, are watching what's going on. They're observing what's happening. And they think in their mind, hey, we've got some land. <clears throat> this really makes these people look really good when they sold what they had and they gave it to the church. They gave it to the apostles to use. So they come up with a plan to sell their land, but not to give all the money to the church. Now, why is that such a big deal? They didn't have to give all the money to the church. They didn't have to give any of it. They didn't even have to sell their land. But they chose to sell their land, and they chose to give some of the money to the church, and they chose to say that they were giving all of it. It was choices that they made. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And the choices that they were making is the harvest that they were reaping. The problem was that came a whole lot faster than they could have ever anticipated in that they both ended up dying right there at the feet of Peter. Peter. What is happening here and what can we learn from it today? Why is this story here? Why is it there? There's something good going on and then all of a sudden somebody tries to abuse it and get the same acknowledgements or accolades and it doesn't work so well for them. And I wonder if it has something to do with their desire to look good coupled with their concern of having nothing. Their desire to look good coupled with their concern of having nothing. Because this other guy gave everything that he had and everybody was, they're not praising is the wrong term, but everybody is excited about it and they're acknowledging, hey, did you see what happened? And they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to be acknowledged. How many times do we do things in our life because we want to be acknowledged for it? Do you like doing a job that you get to work all behind the scenes, you're never seen, you're never noticed, but what's happening wouldn't happen if you weren't back there doing that? Unfortunately, there's too many times that we like to be standing up front and be noticed and acknowledged and receive those accolades and receive that encouragement, which is important too. That's an important part of life. But if that's the reason that we're doing something, then I think we're missing the point. And this is the reason that Ananias and Sapphira did what they did, possibly because they wanted the acknowledgement, but they also didn't want to end up with nothing. Now, if you remember back in chapter 4, it said, I think it was 4, it said that everybody, all everybody's needs were taken care of. There was nobody that was wanting anything in the church because of the way they were working it at that point. I don't think it lasted very long because here we already see some corruption start to slip in. There's a couple of other Places in the Bible that I want to read about. One of them is Leviticus, and I don't go there very often, but we're going to. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who's the high priest, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Then Moses called Mishael and el the sons of Uz- Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. Aaron's two sons... We're not doing things correctly in the temple. Again, Galatians six seven says, "Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you reap." And I think we forget that a lot of times. We forget that we're going to harvest what we reap. These two sons of Aaron were harvesting deception. They were harvesting the wrong, or they were sorry. They were sowing the wrong things, and in turn, they were reaping wrong things. Another place is in Joshua chapter 7 and you all know the story happens here is that Jericho has just been defeated and now they're going to attack Ai. They go in and they lost and they can't figure out what in the world is going on because we thought God was with us. We thought God was going to fight for us and here's what's going on. Joshua chapter 7, verse 16, So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah and took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell him now, tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I have done. When I saw, the, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are hiding in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it and they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Sarah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent and all that he had and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. When they attacked Jericho, they were told not to keep anything. No spoils. Burn it all. Get rid of it all. Don't keep anything. Aiken didn't listen to that. and He paid for that. Everybody in his family paid for that. So when we do make decisions and we think that we're going to try to deceive God or we're going to try to deceive the Holy Spirit, it's not going to work. And it might not just affect you, it might affect everybody you're around. Because in Aiken's case, It said his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had is what was stoned and burned. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we serve in the areas that we serve? Why do we use the things that God has given us? Is it to bring glory and honor to him or is it to get the acknowledgement from people? Why are we doing it? Why did God strike down Ananias and Sapphira right there? And I think part of it is, is that he knew it was detriment, detrimental to the church. This could set a precedent, and it had to be dealt with. This is in the New Testament. We're reading about Achan. That's pretty heavy, and that's pretty dark, because his whole family died that day. But we're reading in the New Testament now. Again, where is the God of mercy and the God of grace? And I would say that it's still the same God. But he's also a God of justice and a God of holiness. And the issue that we have today is that we are in a fallen, broken world, and that sin cannot be with a holy God. So that's why God had come up with a plan to take care of that. He sent Jesus, his son. But yet still, people we see here are free to make choices differently than that. And that's where Ananias and Sapphira are. Excuse me, they were. Lying to God is never a good idea. I would not recommend that at all. Have we convinced ourselves that it's okay to lie to God? because sometimes we convince ourselves it's okay to lie to other people, right? Still don't think that's right, but have we convinced ourselves it's okay to lie to God? So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. That would kind of send a message, wouldn't it? It was their money to begin with. They it was their land to begin with. It was their money to begin with. They could have kept it. They could have said, we're going to give half. We would just like to give half to the church, and we're going to keep the other half for ourselves. There was absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nothing. They could have gave a quarter. They could have gave 10%. It really didn't matter at all. It was theirs. God had blessed them with it, and they were giving back, but they wanted the acknowledgement of giving it all. Now, there's other things in our lives that we say we're going to give to God, but do we give it all? We sing a song that says, I surrender all. Is that really what we mean? Or are we just more meaning I surrender half? Because that song doesn't say I surrender half. It says I surrender all. What are we, how are we living our lives? Are we living in a way like Ananias and Sapphira, where we want to be full on in ministry and whatever we do, whether it's working our job or preaching up here or doing whatever, teaching children's church, whatever it might be, are we all in? Are we 100% in? Because Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be, but yet they weren't quite ready to make that full commitment. They wanted everybody to think they were, but they really weren't. Where are we? Where am I? I was reading this story and just started thinking about where am I with that? Am I really willing to surrender all? Or am I still stuck at some certain percentage that I'm willing to surrender And I want to hang on to the rest of it because that's what I want to do. What are we giving? What are we surrendering? How much are we surrendering? How much are we actually giving to God? Are we saying we're giving all, but we're really holding some of it back? I just would caution you to be very, very careful with that. It didn't end well with Ananias and Sapphira. I'm not saying that God is going to strike anybody dead, but I'm also not going to say it's impossible because we serve a God of mercy and of grace, but we serve a God of justice and we serve a holy God. And sometimes I don't know if we can fully understand what that means in serving a holy God. What is it in our lives that we are withholding from God. Ecclesiastes verse verse 9 or excuse me, chapter 9 verse 10 Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. We don't know Past this life. We have this life to live. We know where we're going to spend eternity, but we have this life to live. And if we think that we're going to give half during this life and then we're going to save the rest for the next life, I'm sorry I don't think it works that way. And what it says whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it heartily unto the Lord. Because we don't know what the next life is going to be completely like. We don't. It's going to be good. We're going to be with him. But we're here for a purpose. And we're not here just to survive. We're here to share God's love with people. <clears throat> and I think this is what was happening when the, in the church here in, uh, in Acts chapter 5. And it says in, thir- in verse 12, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. We had talked about being in one accord last week. And they were still all here, but then it says in verse 13, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And then it goes on to say, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So what is it? What is it today that we're withholding from God? Is it our money? Is it our time? Is it our possessions, our hobbies, our jobs, our homes? It might look different today, but we can still not give God our whole heart or our best effort. Are we giving God our best effort? And I think I have to say there's times where I'm not sure that I was or am. Are we giving God our best effort? The church is continuing to grow, but it does say there are a certain amount of them that dared not join them. Why would they not want to join? What's going on? What they're observing, what they're seeing is happening. What would keep them from joining? Why would they not want to? I want to read John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. And here's the verse that I'm after. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And I think this goes right back to Ananias and Sapphira. I think they were more after the praise of men. And they thought maybe they were going to slip one over on God. You're not going to do that. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. God knows everything. He's everywhere. He, he sees everything. People continued to believe and their numbers grew. Even in spite of Ananias and Sapphira being struck down dead, the numbers of the church still grew. What was drawing people to this church? This early church, what was drawing people to it? It surely wasn't because they had a big fancy building, or because they had a lot of programs going on, or because they had a lot of money. What was it that was drawing them to this church? People were drawn by the expressions of God's power. And that was the work of the Holy Spirit. They were drawn by the expressions of God's power. They wanted to see what was happening. They wanted to see it with their own eyes. Maybe they'd heard it, but they wanted to come and they wanted to see. The other thing that I think was drawing them is the generosity, the sincerity, the honesty, and the unity of the members of the church. That's what was drawing them. So you've got the power of Christ And then you have the sincerity, the honesty, the generosity, and the unity of the church. What is drawing people today? Is that still what, you know, there's churches, we don't have a fancy, fancy building. We are very blessed here. We don't have tons of different programs that we have. But hopefully, we can say that we have that generosity, the sincerity, the honesty, and the unity. Because that, regardless of how big, or how flashy, or how good looking, or how great of singing, or speaking, or whatever it might be, beyond that, I think it's still the same thing that draws people. It's the generosity, it's the sincerity, it's the honesty and it's the unity of the body of Christ working together. And not just this body, but it's us interacting with everybody else that we know. All the other believers that we know, it's the unity in the body. And if we aren't showing unity and we aren't being generous and we aren't being sincere and we aren't being honest, why in the world would anybody ever be attracted to that? But don't forget that the real reason they were coming to see is because of the power Of Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit of what He was doing. People were being healed. They were bringing people. They were laying people on beds and on couches and setting them in the road in hopes that maybe, possibly, the shadow of Peter might pass over them. I believe people were healed because of that. Why would they do that? They could see what was going on. They could see what was happening. They could feel that there was a power of God working. And they felt like the same way that the woman that touched the hem of Jesus' garment knew, if I could just touch it, I'll be healed. These people were thinking, if I could just get under the shadow of Peter walking past, I will be healed. It wasn't Peter's shadow that healed them. It was Jesus that healed them. And Peter does a really good job of continuing to remind people that, hey, it's not me that's doing this. It's God that's doing this. It's the Holy Spirit working through us that's reaching out and touching and healing people. What are we as a church doing today to draw people What makes it attractive to people to want to know who Jesus is? Because that's why we're here, right? We're here to share God's love with people. We're here to share the gospel with people and how Christ died for us and he rose again and he took the place for our sins. That's why we're here. Are we showing that to people in the way that we live? We can say it. I can talk to somebody and share the gospel and go through Romans and talk about different things, but are we actually living that way? Because if we're not living that way, it doesn't really matter what you say because they're going to watch what you do and how you act and how you interact with other believers. And if we can't get along with each other, why in the world would anybody be attracted to that? Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed. People would go way out of their way to bring them to Peter. Why? Because it was the Holy Spirit doing the work. It was not Peter doing the work and I want to encourage us this morning when we feel like we want the acknowledgement, when we feel like we want the attaboy we need to we need to pause and think about why we're doing things. We need to pause and make sure we're doing things for the right reason. Because we don't want to end up like Ananias and Sapphira. They fell down right there at his feet and we're dead. And we're dead. Because they decided in their heart, they chose, they made the choice to lie to the Holy Spirit. What are we doing? to serve Him? How are we living our lives to make it attractive to people to want to know why we are the way we are? What is it about you that people can see in you? And it's not you, it's Him. It's Jesus. I'm going to have a song played that I thought was very fitting to end with this morning. Let's pray and then we will have that played. Father, thank you for your love this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be aware the choices that we make, the things that we do, the way we interact with each other. Lord, we want it all to be about you, and we don't want us to get in the way. And I pray that you would help us to remember that as we go about our week to point people to you. We love you this morning. In your name we pray, amen.
3: The point of finger, we judge things from my point of view. The things that we shape, the trouble it makes, it hurts you and it hurts me too. This is such a folly where we live in. It's really not the way it's supposed to be. What if we could see each other different? It probably change everything. We're all broken people. Don't we all need Jesus? Every moment of our lives, 24, 365, are human. To think they don't we got stuff we hide deep down inside there's so much that we don't show In the prison to the preacher Jesus everybody in the world Jesus
2: All right everybody have a good week and share the Lord with somebody this week. Have a good one and uh, you can be dismissed.